Hey there, Crimeaholics. It is your host, Kinsey. I'm back this week with another unsolved murder. On this episode of Crimeaholics, I got the opportunity to speak with the parents of Rebecca Barsati. Rebecca was a beautiful young woman who lived in Superior, Montana in 2020. Prior to Rebecca's death, she was in a marriage filled with extensive domestic violence. In 2020, Rebecca finally got the courage to leave the marriage, but shortly after, Rebecca would come up missing. Rebecca's case has been filled with major inconsistencies, lies, cover-ups, and half-assed investigative work. In part one of Rebecca's story, you will hear from her parents, Angela and Jerry. Angela and Jerry will walk you through from when Rebecca was born into the day that Rebecca's body was located. My name is Angela Mastrovito, and um, I'm here with my husband, Jerry Mastrovito, and um, this is Rebecca's story. Rebecca was um, born on December 28th, 1987, in the town of Partlow, Virginia, which is right outside of Fredericksburg. Her, her, her biological dad is Ralph Rose, um, and we were married for 25 years when when Rebecca was born that morning, um, I should have known that she wasn't going to stay in Virginia because it was snowy, it was rainy, it was icy. It took us like an hour and a half to get to the hospital because the roads were so bad and it was normally a half hour trip. Um, and she came into the world on, on a really um, messy day weather-wise and extremely cold. Um and she presented with her personality right from the start. She wasn't going to wait around long in transition or while I was in labor, she was ready. <laughs> she was ready to be born and do her thing. As a as a as an infant, she was always happy unless if they, we were separated. When we were separated, people who babysat her would tell me all she did was cry, all she did was cry. So she had separation anxiety um, when she was an infant. But um, as she became a toddler and more independent, she was very, very interested in everything around her. In fact, we bought a Sheltie because when I would let Rebecca outside, she would just out the back door, she would just like take off. And so I thought I need a herding animal. So Shelties are really good at herding. And um, we bought a Sheltie and she outdid herself time and time again, because we showed the the dog, her name was Katie, we showed her the boundaries. And as soon as we would sit and watch, and as soon as Rebecca went toward those boundaries, that dog would just be right in front of her, herding her back into the um, center of the backyard. Rebecca has an older brother, 10 years older than her, who she just adored. And um, his name is Tony, but she couldn't say the T. So she called him Noni with an N. Um, and she basically was his sidekick. Um, when she was little, we went her brother was real involved in soccer and we were at every soccer game and she was 
hollering from the sidelines to go Tony. She was just always inquisitive, all loved animals, even at a young age. Um, I did homeschool her and we had a homeschool co-op group in the community. And it was an, an amazing experience. Um, Rebecca did not like sitting at a desk. So we had to adapt our homeschool days and we made a writing board. And as long as she could stand and write or move around and dance around while she was doing her um, classwork, she was great. And um, so that's what we did. We just adapted to her learning style. And um, at a very young age, she became interested in horses. So at the age of five, I believe it was, um, we started in 4-H groups. And um, she had to learn about a horse first and how to take care of it and all that. And then by the time she was about nine years old, she 10 years old, she started riding. And um, we were barn slaves is what I call it. Um, in exchange for riding. So we mucked stalls, we groomed horses, we bathed horses, we walked horses. Um, Rebecca even helped bale hay, all in exchange for riding and for um, opportunities to be with the horses. And that was pretty much, I mean, that was her world aside from going to church on Sundays and participating in activities there. Um, the horses were her passion. As she continued on through homeschool, I, I homeschooled her all the way through. She graduated out two years early. In the state of Virginia, you're required to provide a SAT test at the end of each year. And we did that in the agent of the test made the mistake of saying within Rebecca's earshot that the fifth and sixth grade test was exactly the same. And Rebecca looked at me and she goes, then I'm not wasting my time taking the same stuff over. <laughs> so um, we skipped sixth grade. And then in 11th grade, when she took her SAT test, the same agent said, well, you know, the junior and senior tests are exactly the same. And Rebecca looked at me and said, then I'm done. <laughs> so so she graduated out early. Um, she did go to Germana Community College for a year. She worked as a server. Uh, Rebecca always, I mean, she loved working outside. She loved being on her feet um, before she could get a working permit in the state of Virginia. She worked at um, several different boating marinas. Um, her godfather worked at, a, at the boating marinas. So she would work there in the summer times and um, fall and spring. And he said she was a hard, she was a hard worker that she did better than any of the guys there. And um, so she did that. She, and then when she got a working permit, she started serving tables. So she worked at Cheeseburger in Paradise for several years. And um, she loved life. She went on some missions trips out of state and um, thoroughly enjoyed those and always was adventurous as far as wanting to go camping or hiking or anything like that. And um, 
she has a very vivacious personality, very giving. She's very intelligent. Um, she can ask questions and think about, you know, just because you tell her the, the water's blue, she wants to figure out why the water's blue. You know, she's not going to take your word for it. She's she's full of life, full of light, full of love, loved animals and people. When she was 18, her grandfather passed away and um, I didn't, I knew it really hit her hard, but I didn't realize how hard. And a couple months later, she came home and she said, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. I'm not staying in Partlo my whole life. And um, I asked her, I said, so where are you going? And she said, I'm going out west. And she had gone on a missions trip to Colorado. So I thought that was her destination. But um, growing up in Virginia, she had participated in um, a homeschool snowboarding event every year. And she had her heart set on going to Sandpoint, Idaho, and becoming a snowboard instructor. So at 18, you think you can do that, you know? And, um, you know, I looked at her and I said, don't you think that man-made snow and natural snow are a little bit different? <laughs> but she was determined. So after three months of planning and preparation, um, she and a friend drove across country and they camped the whole way. They played Frisbee disc golf at all the Frisbee disc, disc golf parts and, um, they got to Sandpoint, but they got to Sandpoint two months too early. It was closed up because there wasn't any snow yet. And um, so they backtracked to Missoula and she stayed, she lived in Missoula ever since. She loved it, just loved the outdoors, the river, the mountains. Um, she loved the winters. So she enjoyed that. Um at at one point, so she moved out there in 2007. Um, my son and myself went out to visit her in 2008. And then Jerry and I went out in 2013 to visit in Missoula. And um, then we went back out in 2019. And I'm thinking Rebecca got married to David 2015, September 3rd, 2015. And I think they dated for a couple years, but he wasn't around when we went out in 2013. So I don't know if he was just on a job assignment or just not in the picture yet. I can't remember. Um, but they met at some event on the river, on the Clark Fork River, and um, started dating and then got married in September. Um, it was a very quick wedding. You know, Rebecca had talked about different plans for a wedding, but then all of a sudden one day she called me and said, we went to the justice of the peace and got married. Um, so that happened a little bit differently than what was originally planned. Um, I do remember in 2016, she came home for a month. She said her and David were having problems. Um, while she was married to David, it was very challenging for her to keep a job. Um, 
Rebecca never really expounded on the problems they were having. Um, and I didn't want to press and pry. I mean, she was an adult and I didn't want to invade on that space, but um, she, she went back home after a month. She went back to Montana after a month and um, it, it was rocky. It was just always rocky. Um, we kept trying to make arrangements to go out to visit. Um, and there was never a good time. You know, they were either moving or David didn't feel good or something. Um, David, David claims to be a disabled veteran. And, um, you know, on the phone, there would be a lot of exchanges going back and forth, you know, about how um, messed up his body was and how he couldn't do this and he couldn't do that. He was never really in the military. He got discharged from boot camp four months and 11 days. We didn't know that until we went out to Montana in 2021. Something about a Purple Heart. And I'd say, well, where's David's Purple Heart? Oh, he... He didn't pay a storage fee and he lost it. And I'm like, you know, Purple Hearts aren't given out like Tootsie Rolls. You know, they're very, they're cherished. You know, you hold those close to your chest. Um, so there were always things that just didn't make sense. But, I mean, he, he had Rebecca believe in, you know, his stories. What was supposed to be a happy, healthy marriage for Rebecca turns into isolation, control, and manipulation at the hands of her husband, David. As mentioned prior by Angela, Rebecca was always a hard worker and gave it her all when it came to her job. But not long after her and David wed, Rebecca begins to struggle to hold down a job because of David's controlling and isolating behavior. But she would try time and time again to get a job and it would only last, you know, maybe a couple months. He would call and say he needed her at home. Later on, she said that, you know, he would just show up at work and um, sit at the bar, you know, and wait for her to get off from serving tables or whatever. And, you know, your bosses don't like that. So um, that caused problems. At one point, she tried cleaning houses because she thought, well, I can make my own schedule and it won't interfere. Um, but even that didn't work out. So there was just, there always seemed to be this factor of her not being able to really be her own person within the marriage. Um, but later on in 2019, somehow, some way, David got approved for caregiver support at home. After, after Rebecca became quote unquote his paid caregiver, Things went downhill real fast. I mean, like every three months she was calling. I think we're breaking up. David kicked me out. And she had an she had an emergency credit card of mine that she could use, but she would always call me and let me know. And I'd say, well, go get a hotel room. So she'd either spend the night in the truck or in a hotel room. And, um, you know, and I'd wait a couple days and I'd say, what's going on? She goes, well, we're going to try to figure it out. And it was the typical cycle of domestic violence, of narcissism, of, oh, I'm going to do better. I promise I won't do this again, you know, and maybe 
for a while that, you know, there wasn't any um, altercations, but then it would always cycle back through again and come to find out. Um, I mean, we have found out that there's been many, many calls to the residents about domestic violence. Um, when on March 9th, um, Rebecca called 911 to have them come to the house for domestic violence. And in the body cam footage that they showed um, at the personal family member assault trial that David had been charged with, um, the officer said to Rebecca, I've been out here many times, multiple times for the same problem, you know, for the domestic violence. And then he also had that discussion with David. Um, you know, this isn't the first time I've come here. In fact, now it's getting worse. I'm concerned, you know, so it it apparently had been going on and escalating. I was just getting the phone calls. I think we're splitting up. And she wouldn't go into any detail. And as a mom, that's where you're trying to figure out where your boundaries are. You know, I mean, how much do you insist? After experiencing physical, mental, and emotional abuse for an extensive period of time, Rebecca finally gains the courage to leave David and restart her entire life. On March 9th, Rebecca finally got the courage and she did call 911, did file a personal family member assault charge against David. He was um, removed from the property. Um, he was supposed to be in jail for three days. I think he bail bonded his way out um, and didn't spend all three days, but he did stay in a hotel um, until Rebecca found some place to live. Now, during that time, um, the deputy called Rebecca 10 days out so on the 19th of March and said, have you found some place to live yet? David's getting tired of living in the hotel. Immediately got hired on the March 9th. She filed the charges on March 11th, which was a Monday. She went out with her resume in hand to find a job and um, got hired at the very first place. And then she was working double shifts so she could make enough money um, to save up money to move out. Or 10 days into your quote unquote freedom and your new life, and you've got a deputy calling you and saying, have you found some place yet? I mean, it's not like she had, you know, a security deposit already saved up or already had a place to rent. She had to do all that. And so um, she finally found some place. And in April, she moved into a trailer. She just, you know, she was starting out in life again. She had applied to University of Missoula for paralegal. So she had plans to... Um, restart her education. 
Once Rebecca had found herself a new home, she had made arrangements with her husband David to retrieve the rest of her belongings. The arrangements that they had made stated that Rebecca would meet David's caregiver at a public place called the Town Pump in Superior, Montana. To this day, it has never been made clear whether Rebecca ever made it to the Town Pump. David states that Rebecca did come to the Town Pump, however, she was supposed to send a text to his caregiver letting him know when she had arrived, but according to phone records, there was never a text or received. On the day that Rebecca was due to meet David's caregiver, she was also planning on going to a place called the Big Eddy. The Big Eddy is just over a mile from where they were supposed to meet. According to a selfie Rebecca had taken with her dog, Rebecca had went to the Big Eddy River two hours prior to when she was due to arrive at the town pump, which David states Rebecca did meet at the town pump for her belongings. Rebecca chose to make arrangements to pick up the last of her uh, personal items by with a third party, David's employee, um, his caregiver, and they met at a public place. So I'm thinking Rebecca thought she was going to be safe. They met at Town Pump in Superior on July 20th. Now, supposedly they met on July 20th because... Rebecca was supposed to text Bevan, who was David's caregiver, when she got to town pump. There's no text message on the 20th from Rebecca to Bevan. I mean, David was aware of the meeting. And um, the Rebecca was supposed to go to the Big Eddy, which is a body of water about a mile and a half from town pump in superior and according to this uh the um selfie on her phone that was taken at 11 54 and so that was almost two hours before she was supposed to be in superior and superior is an hour from missoula only two of the video cameras from town pump were sequestered by law enforcement and um they're very grainy that you can't see them well they're very it's very distant picture and um monty turner from superior knows rebecca and he saw the photograph and he has said publicly i can't identify her in that photograph i can't tell you it's definitely rebecca That causes some concern. On the evening of July 20th, 2020, Rebecca's mom receives a strange text from her daughter's estranged husband. He informs her mom that the police are out there in Montana looking for Rebecca because she is currently missing. He tells her that he doesn't know exactly why she is missing or who reported her missing, but according to him, he's tired of dealing with this. And he said that the police were there looking for her. Then he went on this huge diatribe how... She had a boyfriend who knew she was coming out to Superior and she wasn't returning the boyfriend's call. So he's sure that's what it what it was. Or then later in the night, he texted again and said, or maybe she didn't call her crime victim advocate. But regardless of what it is, I'm tired of this. So it was all about him. And um And I woke up to that in the morning. And so I immediately called and texted Rebecca and there was no message, you know, no response. 
And we had our grandchildren with us that week. So I called my son and I asked Tony, I said, can you please call the sheriff's department? And um, so he called Mineral, he called Missoula County first. And um, Mineral County had said that there was, I'm trying to remember the sequence of events, but anyways, Tony had called about a missing person. David's text to me said Rebecca was missing. And but when Tony called Mineral County, they didn't mention a missing person. And so I told Tony, I said, well, call Missoula. That's where she lives and ask them to do a welfare check. So they did a welfare check, but they also had no knowledge of a missing person. And um, and so then Tony called Mineral back. And um, then it that was at noon. And then at four o'clock, um, Tony got the phone call that she was missing. That was on the 21st. And on the 20th, the deputies knocked on David's door and David's texting me saying Rebecca's missing. So either they didn't bother to tell Tony when he first called, which I don't understand why. Not to mention it was a 911 call. Yeah. Saying that there was a, a, a possible missing person on the river, you know? So right off the get-go, when Tony called, they should have said, well, we had a 911 call on a missing person on the river, and it could possibly be Rebecca. But they wouldn't go. They didn't do that. But they didn't do that. And they didn't even tell him until they called him back at four o'clock that Rebecca's car was found at mile marker 72, Alberton Climbing Rock, off Interstate 90 in Montana, on the 20th of July. And personal belongings were found down by the riverbank on the 20th of July. They didn't bother to tell Tony that when he called the first time. When Tony called us at four o'clock, it was at about four o'clock and said, Rebecca's missing and there's items on the riverbank and they think it's a river accident. I mean, I just screamed and crumbled to my knees. We were out at an amusement park with the grandkids. Jerry looked at me and he said, it's all staged. And then when we got out here, I immediately flew out. Um, I had that was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, David called Jerry and David never calls Jerry. Yeah, he said, uh, I don't want you to tell Angela this, but I don't want her to come out here and see Rebecca in a coffin. You know, and I said to myself, OK, I won't tell her. I won't tell her. You know, he said, no, I, I got to know this because it's a possibility she could be dead. I said, how does he know all of this? Right. How does he know all of this? Angela, of course, meets with the police department and right away shares her concerns about Rebecca's husband, David. She fills the police in on not only the domestic violence that her daughter had been facing, but all the lies that David tells. However, her concerns fell on deaf ears and the police tell Angela that they trust David and he won't ever be considered a person of interest and that it would be ruled a river accident. At some, at some point, I think it was either on the 
I think it was on the 21st or 22nd. I called David and I said, I'm coming out there. And he goes, oh, no, I've got this. Let me handle it. So I I was out there on the 23rd and um, met with the Missoula detectives first. They actually called like an hour after I got into town and wanted to meet with me. But he, he goes, oh, I trust David. I said, why do you trust him? You know, that is that to me, trust connotates a relationship that you've built and that you've earned trust. And he told me that Rebecca, you know, Sheriff Toss said, oh, Rebecca's dog is ill. I said, how do you know that? Oh, well, that doesn't that's not important. I said, two people knew that dog, Rebecca and David. And I said, did you call the veterinarian and get the records to confirm it? And he goes, no, I don't need to. I trust the person. And so I knew right away he was talking about David and I was, so I went to the vets and I got all the records and they all said happy, healthy dog, you know, but one of the things that upsets us the most about all of this is they immediately called it a river accident. They immediately decided that despite an active personal family member assault charge in place and waiting for a court date that David was not a person of interest and never would be. Now, mind you, he was put in jail in March. Then they set up a court date for August. So she turns up missing in July. Yeah, and then the court date got moved to September. Yeah. September. Yeah. So and on Rebecca's um, affidavit of probable cause, it said that David threatened to blow both her hands off so she couldn't call 911 again. But then from the video footage that was shown in the PFMA trial, when the deputy asked David to empty his pockets, David had a pair of handcuffs in his pockets. Uh And I'm like, I guess that's how you secure both hands so you can blow them both off as you put handcuffs the on the deputy person. even made a comment said, man, I don't even have handcuffs this good. This is quality stuff. Yeah. You know? So he was never considered a person of interest. Sheriff Toss said he was never considered a person of interest and never would be. When Rebecca went missing, they the authorities confiscated her laptop but they didn't they didn't confiscate David's laptop. They didn't confiscate David's phone to see what he'd been doing. But they did confiscate Rebecca's laptop, which all these months later, they've never opened and accessed. And from um, the very beginning, I've been asking for the laptop back yeah. or for a copy of the hard drive. And here we are 19, 20 months later, and we're still in court trying to find out where the laptop is, who has it and trying to access a copy of it 20 months later. Last year, when we were out there in Montana, we got a phone call from Sheriff Todd. What kind of a laptop did Rebecca have? In other words, when he put it into 
evidence, evidence room. room. They didn't they, label it. They didn't label it. Because the police had automatically decided that Rebecca's disappearance was a river accident, David was never properly questioned in her disappearance. Although David knows he is not considered a person of interest and has never been questioned, David moves forward with hiring a top dollar criminal defense lawyer. If you aren't guilty of any crimes, why would you hire a criminal defense lawyer? Jerry, Rebecca's stepdad, asked this to the sheriff, in which the sheriff replied he doesn't have a clue because he doesn't know David like that, but then just seconds later asks Jerry a question that he only would have known to ask if he personally knew David. We've had, we had a person come forward under oath, um, give testimony to what Dave, David told them. Um, that he was at the river and saw Rebecca go in the river. And it's under oath. It's a testimony given under oath. And um, at the time, it was Deputy Ryan Funk. He interviewed um, Ivy and he said, there's nothing here. They knocked on the door on the night of the 20th. And David said that he had been home all day. Back in the beginning, when we met with Sheriff Toth, I said, Sheriff Toth, I said, how does a person that uh, is going through a divorce, why does he hire a high-dollar uh, criminal lawyer? Which he had. Which he had. He said, I don't know. I said, where does he get that kind of money? He says, David, mistake number one, okay? Because all along at this meeting, he said he doesn't know David. He doesn't know David. That's what okay. he was telling us. And so then, as we're getting ready to leave, I had my dog with me. And, oh, is that one of the dogs that David trained? I looked at him and I said, well, yeah. I, You know, I, I should have said, well, you know what? You know a whole lot about David for a person that doesn't like him or, or know, know him. him. Now that Rebecca's parents have come to realize that the police department is going to not be any help in finding their daughter, they take the search for her into their own hands. We go on, we, we get all of these uh, people in the area to help us with the search. So actually... Actually, so my son flew in on the 30th and he helped search the river on the 31st of July and the 1st of August. The um, On the 28th, I believe it was, I'm pretty sure that's the day, I had called Mineral County and asked if they were going to have a search, search, do a search effort for Rebecca. And I was told they had other things to do. So we went to KPAC studio downtown and literally beat on the doors. Cause now mind you, this is, we're just coming out of COVID businesses aren't really open and operating to the public. And literally we're beating on KPAC's door, um, which is a news station in Missoula until somebody answers. And we made a public plea for um the community to come out and help us search yeah so they were they were out there on that weekend as well the 31st okay so anyway one of our search groups they found clothes on the riverbank they call the police 
and they come in, took took the clothes and said, thank you, we'll take it, take it from here. Well, and the odd part is, is that the items that were found on the riverbank on the 20th, her driver's license and her credit card were faced up and they were lined up like they had been placed with a ruler. And some of the other items had been completely laid out straight. Now, there were some that were in a pile, like a shirt that I don't believe to this day belongs to Rebecca because it had pink in it. And Rebecca doesn't wear pink or she didn't wear pink as an adult. And um, then her hat and her glasses were like tossed. And they were trying to tell me that she took them off real quick to jump in the water to save the dog. And I said, oh, you don't think somebody could have slapped her in the head and they fell off? Oh, no, that didn't happen. Well, how do they know that didn't happen? They don't. How do they know that? They don't know that. So they treated this as a river accident from the very beginning. They did not consider it a homicide at all. And because they treated it as a river accident, it restricted and obstructed other investigative resources. So there was limited... Um, fingerprinting done. I think they tried to fingerprint her sunglasses, but mind you, they had a dog um, remote there. They had a leash there. They had her flip-flops there. They had that shirt there. They could have gotten DNA from the shirt. They had they, credit cards. They had credit cards and they, they had a credit card and her driver's license. And who takes a credit card and driver's license to the riverbank, you know, and lays it down on the beach. And, um, and so they had other items that they could have fingerprinted and they didn't. Yeah. And because they couldn't get fingerprints off the rims of the sunglasses or the um, the earpieces of the sunglasses, they decided we're not going to try anymore. And then they didn't do any fingerprinting on the vehicle. Her vehicle was there. They didn't do any fingerprinting on that. And so it was... Everything, you know, like every time we asked for a, res uh, a resource, it was, well, this is a river accident. So these other resources were obstructed um, because it was considered a river accident. Nobody would call in the Department of Criminal Investigation. Nobody would call in the FBI, even though we asked. We asked for the FBI to come in. We asked for DCI to come in. Now, mind you, we're working with a sheriff's department that has one sheriff and typically four deputies, six on a good day if they can keep everybody employed. And um, and so they don't have a detective, they don't have an investigator. And so they're not really investigating. Then later on, and then later on, Missoula did come on to assist on the with the paperwork, if you will. Um, and they did do a river, they did do a river search that, um, a team and then, but it was like, they came in days later, days later. And then the river search with Missoula actually started 10 days later. And when you're dealing with a missing person, that's critical time lost. There is no valid reason for Mineral County to have disregarded an active domestic violence charge with a no stand a standing order of no contact 
and pretend like it didn't exist. And that's what they did. We had a lot of the town people come up to us and say, David did it. A lot, a, a lot, lot of them. But I said, we said, well, you need to put that on a sworn statement. I can't. They're I afraid. Can't. They're afraid to. They're afraid that if they need help in that county, and if they cause a ruckus, or if they're outspoken about Rebecca's case, that if they call for assistance, it'll never come. There will be a delay in response. Um, most recent events: the outgoing sheriff, Sheriff Toth. Um, the incoming sheriff has accused the out Sheriff Toth of deleting all records in the sheriff's department on the laptop and on the phone. So why would you do that unless if you have something to hide? So Rebecca was found on May 17th. Um, the interesting part about that is there were multiple, multiple extensive river searches for Rebecca. In fact, there was, uh, we, I mean, Mineral County had Flathead County, they had Kootenai County, they had all kinds of divers out there and nobody found her. Two bit air. They had two bear air for um one night, I think, one or two nights. You know, plus for a whole month, we hired our own in March team yeah. to come in and look, you know, and they didn't find anything. And they didn't find anything. And in fact, in middle of March, Brad Smith came to me. He's the um captain of Wings of Hope. And he said, I need to tell you, I think we're going to find Rebecca in pieces. In May of 2021, almost one year after Rebecca goes missing, her body is found on the land near the river where Rebecca originally went missing. Once her body is located and autopsies conducted and the major inconsistencies in the autopsy report have left Rebecca's parents and family in disbelief that the police department has stuck by their statement that says Rebecca's death was due to an accidental drowning by a river accident, despite the autopsy showing that there was no water found in Rebecca's lungs. Not to mention, Rebecca's body was found fully intact on the land, roughly 40 miles from where her belongings were initially found. The river is a very fast-paced and rough, rocky river. Rebecca's family was told numerous times when she is found, expect her to be found in several pieces because of how rocky and dangerous this river was. If that is the case and Rebecca fell into the water trying to save her dog, according to the police, then why was Rebecca's body found on land fully intact without any extensive trauma? Maybe because the body that was found that was claimed to be Rebecca after being identified by her estranged husband was maybe not Rebecca at all. This has been part one of Rebecca's story and stay tuned to hear part two told by me that will drop on March 3rd. Crimeaholics, if you haven't already, I highly encourage you to join a Crimeaholics podcast discussion group on Facebook or you can follow us on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast or you can follow me personally at this is Kenzie, K-E-N-Z-I underscore. Crimeaholics, thank you for listening and as always, be aware and take care. Mm -hmm.